Well, good morning. It is the best morning. The best morning ever. Yeah. It's all good. It's all good. So thank God that, you know, we have times of peace right now that we can enjoy these sort of things together. There may be a day where it's not so easy to do, but uh, we sure have this day. And we need to take advantage of it completely. Um, of course, this will be our only service today. Uh, we want you to enjoy it with your family because that's part of what Easter is really all about. It's bringing us all into his family. And uh, God's a family man. Um, if you would, turn with me. I want to give you a, a good Easter scripture. First uh, John 1. First John 1 doesn't mention the Passover or any such thing, but it does uh, lay out the effect of it all, what the whole point was. The whole point. First John, chapter 1. Of course, John was one of the apostles. He was one of the three select apostles, if you want to call it that. He got to see a lot of things that others didn't get to see. And he was the one that... Uh, that uh, is spoken of that he was the one that Jesus loved. So there was a, a real bond between these guys. He's, he loved the Lord, and the Lord loved him in a, in a personal way. So he says this, I think it means, you know, saying that, this love thing, it makes this more of sense to us. Verse 1, that which was from the beginning, which we heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard we declare to you, that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write to you, that your joy may be full. This is the message which we have heard from him, and we declare it to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him, and we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, Cleanses us from all sin. Say all sin. Period. All. Any. Every sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That was the whole point of this week. is to bring us into that place with God where we could be in fellowship with him, fellowship with one another, because we have all had our sin issue, which is our unclean way, taken away by the blood of Jesus. Now, you know, in the Old Testament, they had sacrifices and all sorts of rituals to address the issues that you have in life. When Adam fell in the garden, we all became sinful creatures. We were born in it. We were, we were formed in it. And therefore we were unclean, and uncleanness cannot enter into God's presence. But when Jesus came, he addressed all those sacrifices and rituals they had in the Old Testament, and he did it with one. And his blood took away every sin. Every sin. So that there's no reason that we can't go into the presence of God right now, at any moment, every day, and be with him. It's an amazing thing. An amazing thing. Now, all that is necessary is that we confess it. That's all we've got to do. Confess our sins, and he takes care of every sin. Now, that is really cool because, you know, most of us have had a salvation experience. I assume all of you have, but if not, we take care of that today. At that moment, you know, I remember my salvation experience. Well, I was not in good shape uh, at all. Living for the world. And on that moment, all my sins from that day before were forgiven. Everything I'd done wrong. And I don't want to start comparing flesh here, 
But I was a pretty good sinner. And every one of those, all those thoughts that I had that were, I don't want anybody to ever see, the things that I did, all of it, gone. And cleanses us from it. And the beauty of it is, is that never really stops. It's not just sin in the past. Every day, if I do something wrong again, all I got to do is do first principles again. Confess it. Bam. Taken away. Everything. Every single sin. Now, he reserves one. That's blaspheming the Holy Spirit. And I don't think any of you are close to that, okay? So let's just settle it. But so everything else, everything, it's unbelievable. But it's wonderful because it's the truth. So he takes it away. Now, as we confess it. Now, I said earlier uh, that in the Old Testament, turn to Isaiah 9 if you would. Uh, in the Old Testament, they had a different way of dealing with our sin, uh, it was much like what Jesus did in that there were sacrifices that were made. He did one sacrifice. But they had all kinds of sacrifices and rituals that were designed to take on the issue that we needed to deal with concerning our walk with God. So if you had, uh, oh, I don't know, if you had a sin problem, then you had a sin offering. If you had a problem with, uh, oh, I don't know, slipping and not giving time to God. You had what they called a peace offering. You can make peace with God and get back into fellowship with him. Y'all need that, don't you, some of you? When was the last time you were at church? Easter? Last year? I'm just kidding. Man. If you slip from what you know you should do, and you feel like you just need to make peace with God, well, they had a sacrifice for that. If you, uh, if you were a leper, you were... Your whole skin was unclean. You couldn't even enter into the temple. And they had a sacrifice for that. And then last week we talked about another one. If you had been around a dead person, there was an uncleanness that goes with being dead. Because the height of sin is death. We even say, oh death, where is your sting? Oh grave. Where is your victory? See, the height of it is, is, is death. So there was an uncleanness that goes with that. And there in the Old Testament, it, it told you that unless you did this one offering called the, the uh, ashes of a red heifer offering, that would clean to you that uncleanness of that person and the things that they had messed up. Folks, everyone dies for a reason. You know that. Sin kills. And because, like what Adam did, starting us all out with sin, all men die. So you can look around for reasons and, and all kinds of stuff, that, whatever helps you. But the bottom line is, is that my sin will kill me. It will kill this body. And everyone is appointed under that. So we don't have to go on some mad search to find out what kills you. I can say, really, it's the same thing that kills me. Sin. Now, your particular brand of sin may be different than mine. And so when someone dies, the uncleanness of what killed them is on you unless you took that offering of the ashes of a red heifer. That was last week. If you weren't here for that, you should go listen to that. Because every single one of us have been around people that die. I've buried a lot of people in my family. And you know what? Jesus took on every one of those situations in, with his offering. It mentions them in Hebrews 9. Every single one of those life events that we needed to be cleansed from, he did it. But it behooves us to know what he did so that we can take it on and get free. I'm looking at you right now. That's, that's for you, brother. It really is. It's not a knock. This is the truth. I'll give you one, Patrick. I'm about to call you out, but I'll call you out. My father died of his sin. Now, I said it last week. Alcohol did not kill my father. But my father died because he drank and did a lot of other things, which I have done most of. 
I never understood this sacrifice. But the first time I ever drank alcohol was right after my father died that day. That day. So the uncleanness of that was on me. Until I understand that the blood of Jesus Christ breaks that particular yoke, I still have to deal with it. Does that make sense to y'all? Now, what are, the way they set these sacrifices up is they would, they would set it up in such a way that it addressed in particular the issue that was before you. And so for that one, it said, get you a red heifer. It's a female cow, not a male. Red, which is common color. Because we're going to deal with a, an issue that is common to all men. And make sure he was unblemished, which Jesus was. And that he had never had a yoke put upon him. And, they, and we'll get into yoke today. What does a yoke do? It binds you to something. To another person. And the yoke of death yoked you to that other person. So here's the formula that Jesus walked under as he fulfilled every one of these things. He who knew no sin became sin that you might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's the formula. He takes on what is your issue, unclean issue. So you're yoked. Well, he becomes yoked, even though he had never been yoked. Jesus never sinned. So there was, that was not there in him. But he willingly took on that situation so that the person who has that situation rule in their life can be set free from the blood of Jesus Christ. This is an amazing deal. I, mean, I think it's amazing. I never knew it until a couple of weeks ago. I've been walking 67 years like this. Well, in Isaiah 9, we see how this all begins to come together. Because this whole chapter is about what happens when Jesus rules. When he comes and sets up his government, which he has done, you're in it. What should you expect in his kingdom? And that, this chapter is about that. If you look at the caption above it, the government of the promised son, Jesus. Let's pick it up, verse 2. <clears throat> the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. You have multiplied the nation and increased its joy. They rejoice before you according to the joy of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you, God, Jesus, have broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, as in the day of Midian. Well, the day of Midian is when Gideon did his thing. Gideon's 300 whooped an army of 120,000 with nothing but a lamp and a shout. I mean, they were outgunned in every way. So the victory is the Lord's completely. Same here. Verse 5. Every warrior sandal from the noisy battle and garments rolled in blood will be used for burning in the heat of fire. <clears throat> for unto us a son is born, or a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it, with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. That's the government. He takes care of everything. Now, one of the ways he gets that government functioning is in verse 4. You have broken the yoke of his burden. God, when he brings his judgment, his kingdom into our lives, if we let him, he will address the yoke, plural actually, that is in your life. I just discussed the one about the red heifer. We all are yoked 
to death. All of us. But there are other yokes. Don't kid yourself. And so he addresses those yokes. Now, let me just tell you what yoke means. Because it kind of gives you an idea of why he had to do what he did. A yoke speaks to relationships. So I want you to think about the relationships of your life. Where one of the parties exercises power over the other. One dominates the other. So what they end up doing is dealing with that other person in a severe way. They make a fool of them. They abuse them. They are ruthless in doing this. They mock them. They defile them. They exploit them. That's what the effect of a yoke is. Isn't it interesting that when Jesus came this week, 2,000 years ago, every one of those was done to him. They mocked him. They abused him. They pierced him. They plucked out his beard. Every single one of those things. And he deserved none of them. But he put it on him, all of it. He put that yoke on Jesus. That's what he did. So, here we are. And now he has made the sacrifice for all of it. But like I said last week, I think sometimes that we don't show the effects of of his sacrifice because we don't really know what he did. We really don't understand it. And the Bible says, because of a lack of knowledge, my people are destroyed. And another one says, because of a lack of knowledge, my people are sent into captivity. The yoke takes them. And they are dominated by sin. Because they don't really understand what Jesus did for them. I hope today you'll walk out of here with a better understanding of what he did. So that when things happen to you folks, you can pray with understanding. And appropriate what thing he has done for you. Okay? It should should move the ball for you in your life. That is my prayer for you today. Well, here we have our situation. Look over at Isaiah 10. We have a yoke issue. Chapter 10, and in verse 20, it says, It shall come to pass in that day, I'm not going to go into all all that means, but suffice it to say that today, that the remnant of Israel, folks, there is all through the Bible this term called the remnant. And, you know, I really think it's going to matter more and more as we get to the very end. Who is in that remnant? If you want to find out something about it, you can go back to chapter 6 and read it. Let's read the whole, whole chapter. It's about 15 verses, something like that. And it talks about the remnant in there. Who gets to be the remnant? So, but if that's you, and it can be. And by the way, you want to be the remnant. All right? Let's just take away all doubt. That's the best solution by far. Second place is like last place. It don't matter. Either pass, fail almost. You're in the remnant and it's good or you're not and it ain't so good for various reasons. But the remnant. And such has escaped of the house of Jacob. They will never again depend on him who defeated them. If I could come up with a, a description of the effect of a yoke, that is it. You end up dependent upon the one who has defeated you and put the yoke on you. He begins to run your life. Now, I can, you know, everybody has had this, this everybody has this T-shirt. Relationships. Didn't we say that yokes has to do with relationships? So haven't we all... Had our hearts broken in relationships? I mean, if you're over, I'm looking around, 16. 14. How old are they nowadays when they start doing stuff? 
Whatever that is. You all have had that t-shirt. Am I right? You had your heart broken in a relationship. Who did that? Well, that dirty rat Larry. No, I'm not talking about a name. Because, see, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against principalities and spiritual wickedness and high places. We wrestle against the devil. That's where your battle really is. Who sent Larry? Not just Larry, but your Larry. Or your Susie. Oh, there we go. <laughs> yeah, really? <laughs> Good word. Uh, so, the devil. The devil used that other person, and maybe probably not even intentionally by that other person, but we just fall into this stuff. We're just stupid half the time, right? And we end up hurting someone badly to the point where we usually say, no man or no woman, opposite sex, let's be clear, will ever touch me there again. That's what we say. Am I right? So that's exactly how the yoke works. The one who defeats you, which was the devil, he comes in and he bruises you, breaks you, and then he tells you how to live your life concerning that. The first thing he tells you is never let another person in your heart again, at least to that spot. And so we bring that, that baggage into the next relationship, even to marriage. How many women, I'll just look at the women. How many women, don't, don't raise your hand. How many women in here who have been raped or sexually abused? Okay. And I know you all know some, if it wasn't you. And how many of those women have a real hard time in the, in the bed in marriage? You can at least shake your head. You don't have to say anything. Most of them. Or at least a bunch of them. Why? That's supposed to be a pleasure moment. But instead, what we have is a yoke has been placed upon that person by the devil. And then once it's there, then he tells her how to conduct herself, and the yoke never leaves. She needs to be healed. So this is how it works. And so right here he says that the remnant will never again depend on him who defeated him. See, what you're doing when you, when you, when you get into the, the, the code of conduct that the devil gives you after you've been hurt, is you're basically dependent on him to keep you safe. He becomes your Lord in that area. And so you're, you're dependent upon him after he has hurt you. This scripture says that will never happen anymore. They will never depend on the one who defeated him. What will they do? Well, look down at verse 27. It shall come to pass in that day that his burden will be taken away from your shoulder. I'm talking about the devil. His burden will be taken away from your shoulder and his yoke from your neck. And the yoke will be destroyed because of the anointing oil. So what does God do when he brings in in his government? Goes right at your yoke. He goes to the places where you're being ran by the devil. He demands that as part of his kingdom. And the fight is on. Who wins? Well, that kind of begs the question of why we're even preaching this. Who's been winning? If you're still under the yoke of something, you still can't do the things we talked about just a while ago. There's your sign, right? So why did what Jesus did 2,000 years ago not go ahead and take that away? Well, here's the truth. It did. But you don't know it. And you've not appropriated the things he has given to us, for it to be real. See, there's a real difference in the, in the Old Testament about prophecy versus messianic prophecy. Prophecy is foretelling things. Messianic stuff is bringing it. Bringing the fullness of God 
and of Jesus to this situation and fulfilling it. Many of you know it's supposed to, things are supposed to be different, but you've not experienced it. Hopefully, maybe we can move that a little bit today. Maybe a lot. Know what you're dealing with. Ask God with particularity as to what it is you're asking for. I'm going to be set free from that. The anointing oil is what destroys and breaks this yoke. The anointing oil. Shaman. Well, we have a New Testament version of this. It's in Acts 10. Turn there if you would. We saw the prophecy in Acts, I mean in Isaiah 9. And here we have it after the fact. Jesus has come, he's went to the cross, and he has been resurrected. And now we have the disciples talking about what he is all about. Verse 38. This is Peter talking. He says, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. There's your word, anointed. We know what that does. He anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. What a great scripture. Well, that says it all right there. That's a loaded verse right there. So, this is Peter describing what we just read in John, I mean in, in Isaiah. He anointed Jesus. He anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power in order to heal now, the word heal, there's actually a couple of words for healing in the, in the New Testament. One of them is the Greek word therapuo. Sounds like therapy, doesn't it? Because it's a lot like that. The healing that comes from nursing something back to health. You, Nicole. You're a therapuo. E. So... The idea is to nurse it back to health. Put healing medicine on it. You know, do all the things that are necessary to get the thing back in full strength and, and walking again. So if I broke a leg, what would I do? I would therapeutic it with a splint and some therapy. How about that one? With therapeutic. That word is not this word. He went about to heal all who were oppressed. That word is eohomahi. That word is healing also. And it can be used to heal anything physically and all that kind of stuff. But mostly it talks about the healing of your soul and of your heart. It's inside. Okay. Now we're talking about yokes, are we not? And you don't speak of relationships where one has oppressed and damaged the other. That doesn't do anything to my hand or my knee. It hurts my heart. It hurts my way of thinking. Doesn't it? So Jesus was anointed with power, dunamis, the power of God, to go and find those people who were oppressed by the devil. The word oppressed sounds just like the word yoked. Let me read what it means. Those to exercise harsh control over another. To use one's power in order to oppress another. Sounds just like a yoke, doesn't it? So he goes around looking to see where the devil has used his power, which is pretty dadgum great. To control you. To rule harshly over you. And he has to go inside you and bring the soul healing in order to set you free. And make you live in a whole manner. Amen? Does that make sense to y'all? 
He does it with the anointing. And the anointing brings the power of God. So, let's see how he works this thing all through for us. Look in Luke chapter 4. The scripture we just read was Peter looking back. So this is what Jesus did when he was on this earth and when he left the earth, giving us this authority. Here it is when Jesus began that work. Luke 4 is the scripture of when Jesus hit his age and began to enter into his ministry. Now he is beginning to do those very things which we just read in, in Acts 10. So let's read it. Luke Chapter 4, verse 16. He just left the wilderness where he was fasting for 40 days and nights, and now he's ready to rock and roll. Verse 16. So he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he opened the book, he found the place where it was written. Look at verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me. Here we go. He anointed me. And folks, from here on, we're going to find out what is the purpose of anointing. There's several. And he lays out several right here. But there's more than just this. Anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted. To proclaim liberty to the captives. Recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, the word oppressed, and proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down, and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. I bet they were. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Boy, that's a bold statement right there. He's proclaiming it before he's going to do it. And then he does it. That's true faith. So what did he do? Well, there's several there that you can see. The one I want to focus in on here is a couple of them. First of all, he's anointed me to heal the brokenhearted. Right in the middle of verse 18. Same word that we left in the book of Acts. Iahomahi. He sent me to... Go inside your soul. See, the soul is the, is the heart and, the, and all that stuff. So he's going to go inside there where you have been broken. I mean, literally broken hearted. And apply this, this healing. He also got anointed to look at the very last part of that. To set at liberty, verse 18 to the bottom line. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. Now, this is a different word for oppressed, but it's very similar. Those who have been broken in pieces. I mean, you literally are in pieces. You can't make it work. And so he's going to go at that, to set them at liberty. It's interesting. It's almost like we can reverse things now. Because at first, what we had was the devil taking his power and using it against you. Now we have something that's going to be absolutely turned upside down. Jesus is going to go at that yoke. He's going to break it. And then he's going to make you an offer. Here's the offer. Come unto me, you are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. And learn from me. For my yoke is easy. My burden is light. So there is another yoke. See, it's not bad to be yoked to the right thing. Because Jesus knows exactly where you should go. There's a lead dog in the yoke. You know, like two cattle, two oxen. There's a lead one. Leads the other one. Yoke to Jesus, folks. He knows where he's going. And where you should go as well. But it's an offer. If you take that offer... You will flip the situation. And the very thing that Satan used to use his power against you to keep you bound, Jesus will set you free from that, and he will use you to go to others just like you used to be to help set them free as well. 
That same power is flipped. I guarantee you, the power of God is a lot more than the power of the devil. A lot more. But he just looks for people that would be partners with him. And so what he wants you to do is to receive the yoke and then get this. And then become his witnesses. You can tell people, I was this way. But God came through, and now I'm not under that anymore. He can do it for you as well. And you know what? If I go to a drug addict and tell him, I used to be strung out on whatever, name the drug, that guy's going to listen to me. If I come to him with righteous piousness, and I've never touched any liquor or booze or drugs, or I've always been beautiful, a pure soul, and Jesus wants to set you free and you can be like me. He's going to say, forget it. He ain't listened to you. You don't even know what you're talking about. But for every situation that's in life, folks, there's somebody in here who was yoked to that, that either has been or Jesus wants to set free from so he can use you to go to others just like you used to be. And be his witnesses. That's his plan. So today, you know, of all days, says that we can do it because he was resurrected and given power for us to go do the same thing. Well, what triggers this breaking of the yoke? What makes it happen? And, and the responsive thing of the healing. What makes it happen? Because like I say, we can look around and see that we haven't seen evidence that it has truly, completely happened. Am I right? There's still areas where it's not even close. You know, how are we doing on the meth deal? The meth issue in this world we're losing bad so we got to do something don't we and we've got people in the body of Christ who's dealt with that and we need to they they should become like arrows in the hands of the Lord and he just shoots them out there to get the enemy that controls people like that and it goes on and on and on things that control people and I'll be a witness of the people who are underneath that particular devil, they don't want it. They don't want that devil. The ones that I have seen are trying like crazy to get out of it, and they can't. It's not like they haven't tried. Most of them have tried and failed. If you've ever been around addiction of any sort, not just meth, any sort, if that thing has ever dominated you, or someone you loved, I'll tell you what, you're in for the fight of your life. And to think that you can just blow it off with a, a rehab. How many times, Stevie? Four. Did any of them deliver you? Jail did, though. Jesus did in jail. So, you know, I don't give a rip what you throw down at them. It's the anointing of the Lord that destroys the yoke. And so none of that stuff has the anointing of the Lord. And I, I don't, I don't blame anybody for trying. My God, I've tried for 15 years. The only thing that set my wife free was death. You got it? I'm not kidding. This is a hell of a deal that we're dealing with. So we need an answer. And I think sometimes we have not because we ask not. How about asking for the anointing? Hey, there's a pregnant idea. Asking for the anointing over whatever it is, fill in the blank. There's a bunch of them. Well, there's a trigger to the breaking of the yoke and the healing that can come from it. We know that the anointing is what destroys it, but there's some other stuff too. There's other elements that makes this thing go. So here's these plus items. Number one, faith. Faith. Moves God. If you want to please God, believe that He is God. 
And then he rewards those that diligently seek him. Nothing moves God like faith. It's absolutely a requirement. Faith. Now, usually the faith that's asked for is by the person who is weakened by the yoke. Asking for help. Going to Jesus and saying, Lord, if you care, if you will, you can heal me. And here's what Jesus says back to them. According to your faith, be it unto you. The guys that asked that were blind. They got healed. I would love that one. Love it. The other one. There's a million of these examples of someone getting healed. And Jesus always said, your faith made you whole. What you did is what triggered this work. How about the woman who had the issue of blood for a gazillion years? 38 or some ridiculous number. Has spent all her money on physicians to get well. Nobody could touch it. But she knew that Jesus was coming through one day. And there was a crowd of people around him. A crowd all around him. And she said, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, I could be whole. And she did. And what did Jesus say? Who touched me? And his disciples were going, what are you talking about? There's a crowd around you. Everybody's touching you. He said, yeah, but I felt power coming out of me. What was Jesus anointed with? The Holy Spirit and power. He said, I felt that do damage. Leave me. And he finds the woman and said, are you the one? She said, yep, your faith did it. Of all those people touching him, one person had the faith to draw that power out of him and get healed. Faith ignites it, man. Go to the anointed one and pull it out of there. It's awesome. It's just amazing. But you know what the reality of life is? Is oftentimes we don't have what we take need in terms of faith. Is that not true? Especially when you tried again and again and again, and you've not gotten anywhere. Your faith becomes lost. Mark 9. Mark 9. What do you do when your faith you're not sure about? Oh, pick up verse 17. Then one of the crowd answered and said, Teacher, I brought you my son. Who has a mute spirit. And wherever it seizes him, it throws him down. <clears throat> he foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they couldn't. He answered and said, Oh, faithless generation, oh, generation that don't believe, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. So he took him to the disciples, and they had, they had walked with Jesus and done miracles with him. But their faith wasn't there for this. Oh, faithless generation. Then they brought him to him. And when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed the boy. And he fell on the ground and waddled, foaming at the mouth. God, that would get to me. My son doing that. So he asked, Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? He said, from childhood. And often he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. There's your faith issue. Immediately, the father of the child cries out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief, which is true. I believe. Or help my unbelief. Maybe both. I want to believe. How about that one? But all I can tell you right now, I ain't got it. Help my unbelief. So what did Jesus do? Faith isn't here. Well, he supplies the faith. 25, Jesus saw that the people came running together. He rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. The spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly, came out of him, and he became as one dead. It was like he killed him. 
So that many said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by his hand and lifted him up, and he arose. So what do you do when there's no faith? Somebody has to supply it. And often it will be Jesus and or his disciple. They asked him why they couldn't do it. He says, this doesn't come out except by prayer and fasting. You need to go fast sometimes before you deal with some demons to get your faith to the point where you can be used. But well, my point is this. Even when there isn't faith in the person that needs the, the miracle, Jesus will bring it to the table some way. Now, there is another thing that can trigger this, this anointing and, and deliverance and, and, and healing. You actually saw it in verse uh, 22 at the end of it. He, this, boy, this man is saying, if you can do anything, have compassion on us. That's a big trigger with God. Big trigger. Compassion. That means feeling the pain of another person. Feel it deeply, even to the point of pity. Look over in Hebrews chapter 4. We're going to see the word compassion in here. They use the word sympathy, but it is that word. Verse 14. 414, seeing that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, a confession of faith, by the way. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize or have compassion with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted like we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help us in times of need. In verse 15, it says, he who cannot sympathize. I love King James right there. I think it's a better description of the word compassion. We have a high priest who can be touched with the feeling of our weakness. See, there's a feeling when you're busted or when you're yoked and dominated. There's a feeling. Hopelessness. Whatever. Name something. Broken heart. And... Jesus is promised here that Jesus will feel it too. Whatever you're feeling, he's touched by that. He feels it as well. He has compassion. Now, when compassion shows up, it's like it trumps everything. Uh, I mean, nobody has to do anything except the guy who's having the compassion. It's like when you have compassion, faith comes. It's weird. Because of compassion... Uh, of compassion, uh, so many people were healed. He, Jesus just looks at our situation. Oftentimes, we can ask for him to have compassion. We just read it where the, the boy that was demonized, his father said, please, have compassion. There's your prayer request. And Jesus had compassion. So he can be petitioned for. But often, it's just initiated by Jesus when he observes our situation. So time after time, he did these miracles because he had compassion. He saw the state of people who were faint, or in other words, just busted, tired. Uh, people without food. You know what? Twice it said, I think a crowd of 5,000, and the writers had a crowd of 4,000, just men, plus their wives and their children. So don't tell them how many people there, 10,000. He had compassion on them because they didn't have food. And he fed them. One time with five loaves and two fishes. And the other time was, you know, equal, something like that. Five loaves and two fishes. And he feeds 10,000 people. What a miracle. See, that, that is dynamis. That is power. And what initiated it was the compassion of Jesus. He saw how bad off they were. Uh, there's other places where someone was sick. He had compassion on them. Healed them. Now, here's a good one. He looked at a lot of people, and he saw that they were like sheep without a shepherd. That's interesting. What did he do? He said, well, you know, if you guys were covenant people, you'd get the goodies. No. He had compassion on them and saved them. Woo. Wouldn't that be nice if God did that in our day? It's been prophesied that in 2020, which is not too far away, 
there will be a great revival worldwide, and a billion people will be saved. Maybe Jesus is warming up the compassion and looking at all those people who have no shepherd, and he wants to give them the shepherd. He's got to move to do it. Otherwise, it it won't change. He's got to move and bring his power. Sometimes uh, uh, there's the most amazing thing. Here's the last trigger I came up with is sin. You know, sin, the state that we are in, when we confess it, what does he promise to do? Faithful and just to forgive it and to wash us clean. That is breaking the yoke of that sin. I mean, he always does it. You can count on it. So don't condemn yourself when you sin. Ask him, hey, this is what you did. Would you take this away? He will. You need to let it go then. But sometimes, folks, it's like a combination of things. Like he, he, he looks at us and, and the situation that we're in, and he takes the initiative about it. For example, there was a guy who was a paralytic, and he couldn't walk. And they heard that Jesus was in town in the guy's house. And they couldn't get to him because of the crowd. So they put him on a, on a, a little bed and they picked him up and went to the roof and lowered him down the roof into Jesus' presence. So all it took was Jesus to look at his situation and immediately he said this. Son, your sins are forgiven. Is that what you expected? You thought, oh, son, you're, you're, you're healed, right? No, he went to the nub of the matter. Why is anybody in the shape that they're in? Sin. Sin's always at the bottom of the well. So he immediately fires a shot. Son, your sins are forgiven you. Everybody freaks out. Who can forgive sin but God? And Jesus said, you think that's hard? Is it easier to say you're healed or that you're forgiven? Which one's easier? Right, let's take a test right now. How many of you think it's easier to say that you're healed? How many of you think it's easier to say you are forgiven? Then why aren't you forgiving everybody? That was a trap. Boy, you went right in it. So that was coming. <laughs> See, I debate on that. I go back and forth. I don't know. Sometimes it's real hard to forgive. But you should ask him to give you whatever it takes with his anointing to break your yoke of unforgiveness. Because that's a terrible thing to walk in. Jesus is real clear. If you don't forgive others, neither will your heavenly father forgive you. Do you realize the consequences of what I just said? Neither will your heavenly father forgive you. Do you really want to walk out your life like that? Seriously. Then he told the crowd, he says, just to let you know that I do have the authority to forgive sin. Son, rise up, take up your bed, and walk. Bam, he did it. All right. The sin that we're in, there is no greater yoke than sin. No greater yoke. So on this day of all days, we need to really accept that. Now I want to go one more time. Matthew 13. Here's another one. Matthew 13. The whole breaking of the yoke thing is literally transferring you from one kingdom of darkness and death and destruction that the devil runs, rescuing you from that kingdom into the kingdom of his dear son, the kingdom of light and of his love, transferring you from one to the other. That breaks the yoke. Now, he does that by preaching his word. Folks, that's what we've been doing all day here. I've hit that issue about forgiveness several times. Anybody in Sunday school? Did you, did you take care of business before you came in here? He's not kidding. He, he gets to us by his word. We started off with a scripture. I said, this is a great Easter scripture. The word was among us. We held it. We held it. It's Jesus. And so he takes what he is and he speaks it to you. And that word will drive out what's not from him. Will you receive it is the only question. 
And in Matthew 13, there's a parable called the parable of the sower. So you get that, that song about ready. The parable of the sower, where it talks about him bringing that kingdom into us through his word. But here's the problem. Will you receive it? Like I said earlier, I've been saying it all along. If all these things are true, then where's the evidence of it? Are we showing it? Maybe we're not appropriating it. Maybe we're not receiving it. Because there's a whole nation that didn't. His own people, the Jews. So he's speaking to them in parables. The parable of the sword, how he sows his, his word, his kingdom into us. And they ask him, why do you speak them in parables? In verse 13 of chapter 13, he says, I speak to them in parables because seeing they do not see, hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Why don't they see and hear and understand? 14, he says, in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, hearing you will hear and shall not understand. Seeing you will see and not perceive. And here's the reason. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing. Their eyes, they have closed. Who did it? They did it. Lest they should hear with their eyes. I mean, see with their eyes. be a miracle right there. And hear with their ears. And lest they should understand with their hearts and turn. So that I would heal them. He's speaking again to the way you think. See, soul healing requires you to quit thinking the way you used to think. Better get ready. Because what it takes is for you to change your thinking. He says, you have to turn. There's a great Greek word called epistrepho. Here's how it goes. You're going this way. Bam, the word comes. Just turn around. Go back to the exact opposite way. I just epistrephoed. He says, this word should cause you to quit going the direction that you're going or using the method that you have been using and turn it completely around. Do a 180 and repent. That way was wrong. This is the right way. Y'all with me? So if you want to be healed, which is the result of breaking your yoke, you have to do something up here. Isaiah 1. We'll end with that. Isaiah 1. Boy, if anything describes us or anybody for that matter, people in general, it's this scripture. Isaiah 1, let's pick it up in verse 4. See if you find yourself anywhere in here. Alas, inflammation. <clears throat> A people laden with iniquity. Laden with iniquity. That's interesting. That is like yoked with iniquity. Weighed down by your iniquity. A brood of evildoers. Children who are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked to anger the Holy One of Israel. They have turned away backward. And God asked them, why should you be stricken again? Because this is what God does. When, he, when you start going the wrong way, things don't go your way. Have you noticed that? You just keep getting hit. Life hits you. How many people, this is a cheap one, but it's a pretty good one. How many people in the Permian Basin do you suppose make $100,000 a year or more? That household. How many do you think, percentage-wise, in Andrews? 70, 80%. Now, if someone had told you when you were in high school, that you can make $100,000 a year, would, would you be okay with that? Anybody? That's like a duh question, folks. Of course you would. $100,000. And not just 100000 but most of them, a lot of them make more than that. Upwards, right? Of that percentage, 70 80% that make that much money, how many of them are broke? All of them. Why? To the world, the toys. And they think it's the American dream. No, no, no. It's the devil's nightmare. And it's going to keep it up. 
But here's what God does when he sees you doing that. The first thing that always goes when you're walking that way is you rob God. Oh, I would never rob God. Yeah, you do. If you don't tithe, which is 10%, we're not going to play games here, 10%. The scripture's really clear. You rob God. You would rob God. I mean, if you really think about that. Isn't that like picking old Superman? Like spitting into the wind and other stuff into the wind? How stupid are we? Real stupid. We think he don't notice because I'm special or something. So what does he do? He chastens you. He first tells you, quit doing it that way. And, of course, you're going to ignore that. No, no, I'm being too nice now. So he will strike you. That's called a spanking. So what happens with the money? You look for much, and what does it come to? Nothing. You put it in a bag to hold it, and what happens to the bag? It has holes in it. You open the bag, and nothing's there. You look for much, it comes to little. And on and on and on this goes. Why? Because you're not doing it his way. If you're going to be yoked with Jesus, let him lead you to what you should do. Oh, I can't because. Okay. End of story. If you're going to get excuses, take another lap. And learn like the rest of us. God is faithful. He will supply more than there is enough to receive. Same scripture says to Rob, he says, you do this, you watch what I do with you. I will pour you out a blessing that is so big that you, there's not even room enough for you to take it all in. Oh, I don't believe it. Okay, don't receive it then. And then you're stuck. But he will not stop loving you. And if he loves you, he's going to spank you. So keep it up. Or not. And he's saying, why should you be stricken again? Great question. Well, because we, uh, I don't know why. I like it that way. Good. We need some more of it. You will revolt more and more. I love this next line. I want you to think about that. The whole heart, the whole head is sick and the whole heart faints. So ask yourself this question. Is your heart broken or exhausted? It's because you have stinking thinking. The head is Sick. And because the head is sick and it thinks wrongly, stinking thinking, your heart is not healed. Parable of the sower. You got to turn. Okay, so what are you going to do, folks? Keep on doing the same thing the same way and believe God for better? There's his word. Read the first six, and then we're going to do something different. From the sole of the foot even to the head, there's no soundness in you, but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. My God, that sounds awful. And that's probably the way it looks to God. Wounds, bruises, and putrefying sores. Don't touch it. And why is it that way? They have not been closed or bound up or soothed with anointment. That word ointment there, same word for anointing, oil. They have not received the anointing of God, which breaks the yoke. Are y'all going with me here? We're going to do something different today. We're going to take Passover. We're going to do the Lord's Supper here. And if you remember Al Houghton's teaching about that, powerful teaching. We so misappropriated the Lord's Supper. It should be a time of rejoicing because it's always it's been always designed for God to come into your situation and just bam kick the crud out of your enemy. That should be the result. It literally loosens God to go at your enemy and kick him. Make him sick, destroy, kill him. But Paul says you guys can't take the Lord's Supper because you don't forgive one another. You're selfish. And because of that, all of you are sick, weak, and some of you die. We flipped the Passover into a curse because we're not appropriating it correctly. So he says, oh, everybody take the, take the Lord's Supper. Do it right so that God can come in and boom, come at the enemy who, who has yoked you. Okay, that's what we're going to do today. Take the Passover, the Lord's Supper, 
with a knowledge that he's going to come at the enemy that has been destroying you. Amen? Amen. But the one thing that is needed that we've not done, I'm going to do it. I'm going to anoint you. How about them apples? says, oil of gladness or oil of great joy. You know what they put this on? The bridegroom on the day of his wedding. And the scripture says about Jesus, you have, because he is who he is, you have anointed him above his fellows with the oil of gladness. So how are we going to do it this time? Is instead of going to the walls, we're going to come to the center. We'll come up here. And we're going to flip these guys. The bread will be here, the wine here. Bread here, wine here. You come in, bread, wine, back to, the, to your seat. But you're going to go through the gauntlet. Because I'm going to stand here, and I'm going to pop the anointing oil on every one of you as you walk by. I'm going to give it really good to you. Sound good? What do we got to lose? <laughs> I like that one. Sadness and the yoke. How about it? Amen. If you don't want it, just, just give, me the, give me the side. Don't make it one finger, okay? <laughs> That's it, sister. According to your faith, be it unto you. Amen? Amen? This is why Jesus came. And I think, I think man, we're right on the threshold to see the miracles. If we have a heart for it. Or if you want to keep on keeping on, doing what you know is wrong. Folks, I'm not even pretending you don't know. You quit pretending it. Amen? Let's be real here. And let's get her done. 